Welcome to The Future is Female Powerlifting, a show where women of all strengths can explore the world of female powerlifting. I am your host, Heidi Donnell, a 60-kilo powerlifting gym owner, and each episode we bring you an inspiring interview or a message to help you unlock your true inner strength potential. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha, my friends, my beautiful friends, and we are on episode 51, loving that we are just moving through even with everything that's going on in our quarantine. And today is unlike other days when I've launched an episode in the past. I normally only launch them on a Thursday or Friday, but today is Sunday. And I wanted to do it today because today is my birthday. Today I'm 39 years old and I thought, hey, what what better way to start it off with my favorite podcast, The Future's Female Powerlifting, but I might be a little biased And on this special episode, episode 51, we have strength coach Trevor Jaffe all the way from Florida tuning in. And I loved um, this episode. Trevor and I got to really talk about how he started out, which I thought was interesting. He started off as like a chubby, insecure kid. He said he was a quiet guy and um, really turned to weightlifting at a young age and, you know, went down so many different routes of strongman. Uh, weightlifting and in the back there was always powerlifting and part of his um, part of what has made him a great coach I believe is his openness to learn different styles of training um, you know master and see how weightlifting for example was something that really helped him um, shoot up his squat and, you know, so many things that transferred over. So we get to go really into detail on how that has helped him. He is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to training. So you're just going to hear so many different things that you're like, Oh my gosh, I would never thought of that. Oh my gosh. He just, he's, he's just got so much coming out. You're just like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. That's awesome. So not only do we get to hear about him and how he's trained as Stacy, he gives a really great background um, on Stacy's leading up to the world record and how that went for her and what it looked like and um, how in his eyes, you know, how Stacy is uh, a special person. And it's a it's a beautiful way to get an insight um, on the little bit of the backstory of him and the people that he trains. We also go over some questions that was asked with our golden mic. So again, if you see our golden mic on our Instagram or Facebook page, that is your opportunity to ask um, who I'm interviewing some questions. And most of the time, it's about uh, a coach I'm going to bring on and you can ask specific questions. So here are some of the questions we went over. What are the biggest mistakes beginners make? Who do you look up to in the powerlifting community? Are weak side raises related to a bad bench? What do you think was special about Stacy? Stacy Bamaper? Do you think that anyone will beat Stacy? Well, we kind of know some of that. Uh, do you think gyms will be bombarded after the pandemic? And what are some reasons you wouldn't accept a client? And this episode is brought to you by my gym, Core Strength and Performance in Huntsville, Alabama, where we live through strength. And if y'all are interested in training, we have in-person and online training. We offer powerlifting. And actually, our in-person is really more so for anybody. You know, we, one of our missions is to help uh, people just become stronger. Um, And 
we focus mostly on strength-based, but we're looking at people who are just regular people. They're not always athletes. They're people who just want to get stronger. So if that's you, come check us out at core256.com. And if you have a few minutes today and you really love uh, this show, please take a snapshot, take a picture, post it on your Instagram story, post it where you have it, um, and leave us a review if you are on Apple or on Facebook. Uh, it just always helps to, you know, let me know that I'm on the right track with you all and that you enjoy the show. Now, let's get it started with Trevor. A million times. <laughs> this is great. This is the only job in the world where it's okay for me to give my opinion and not get fired for. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and I've, I, I'm kind of one of those things where I'm, uh, you know, I just want to be honest and Sometimes it's, it's there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast that don't necessarily li- listen to a lot of powerlifting podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I more so like to have stories like I want to have Riley on, like I want to hear about her. You know, I just like to hear how successful powerlifting coaches are able to be where they are and kind of talk about their past and their struggles. And, you know, my thing for me is like how you came to train people like, you know, like Jen and, and Stacy and how that's been for you and maybe some things you see with women um, okay. that you don't maybe see with men as much, you know, just, just things that other women can take away from somebody who is a good coach, you know? Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about you because I know you have a background in strongman weightlifting, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize you weightlifted at certain points and then powerlifting. So how did that all start off? Were you always into weightlifting? Were you somebody who grew up training? No. I, well, I grew up training. Yes. Uh, I was the fat kid. I grew up training as the fat kid and uh, that's where no I found way. my strength was in the gym. Yeah. Uh, I have stretch marks everywhere to prove it. Like I know there's pictures of me online where I'm like shredded and lean. That took a lot of work, like wow. a severe amount of like restriction to get there. Yeah. Um, but I grew up as the really, really shy, heavy set kid and I just lived in gyms and I was fascinated with pro wrestlers and bodybuilders and the physiques you would see in action movies. And I appealed to that because they were strong and they had courage and I was like shy and, and fat. So it was just really drawn to it. And mm-hmm. at some point when I was about 16, someone said to me, they saw me in the gym, like, you're really strong. You should compete in powerlifting. And I'm like, okay. So there wasn't the internet really then the way it is now. Right. So you'd have to go to a bookstore. And I picked up a copy of powerlifting USA to learn about what it was. Yeah. That was the only place you can find it was at a bookstore. Like you couldn't wow. get it anywhere. Like I had to find like a specific bookstore in Miami cause it was not local and drive like 45 minutes to go find this powerlifting USA thing. And the second I opened it, I was like, my, my interest in competing in powerlifting like shrank. My ego was like, like crushed because there's Tony, um, Tony Conyers at 148 squatting 650. Jeez. Now that's in the magazine and you look at that and I'm squatting like 505 and I weigh like 210 at the time. I'm like, whoa, man, these guys are killing me. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. But no one had acknowledged that these guys were in multiply squat suits and mm. bench shirts it wasn't even acknowledged because raw didn't exist back then. Right. Everything was multiplied. So when you pick up this magazine, you just think they're in like a singlet or regular clothes. You don't quite notice the fact that you're squatting 505 raw and he's squatting 648 in wraps and a multiply squat suit. And you're like, right. okay, you learn that later in life. But I was still so shy and I really wanted to compete as I got stronger and stronger and stronger. And everyone's like encouraged me and I was still too nervous. The last thing I wanted to do was put on a singlet because like I body image issues were terrible. I'm like, I don't look good. I can't do that. So then I started, I remember watching Strongman at two and three in the morning on ESPN two. Yeah. When that first came out in the nineties. Cause that's it was when like, it was two and three in the morning. That's when it was. Yeah. And I would see, yeah, Jeff Capes and Bill Kazmaier. And I'm like, these guys are just regular clothes. This is cool. I'm like, I want to lift a log. I want to flip a tire. Right. And one day I just happened to Google, I'm like Strongman, Strongman contest near me. And I typed in my zip code. And sure enough, there was one across the state. I'm like, no way. But it was in a week and a half. 
couldn't do it. You know, right. <laughs> I didn't have a single implement. I didn't have anything. I didn't know the rules. So the next one wasn't for like five months. So I started looking into that. I picked the date. I let my training partners or friends know. I'm like, hey, guys, let's do this. It's really cool. And so I competed in strongman first because I didn't have to put on a singlet. You know, it's so uh, funny. It doesn't matter who it is, men or women. Yeah. It's like it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it crosses both genders. Like people just don't feel comfortable in singlets right away. Not at all. It is not a flattering piece of attire no, in any way, isn't. shape, or form. No. It's on there so they can see your hip crease when you squat or if your butt leaves the bench when you bench. Like there's a, an actual functional purpose for the singlet, right. but it is not flattering for 99% of the people who put one on there. Mm, no. <laughs> and so I was too nervous to do it. And I was so I had never really competed in anything <clears throat> like that. It was so far out of my comfort zone. So that day, I literally didn't eat any food. I just pounded energy drinks all day. And it was in the middle of July in in Florida, in Lakeland, Florida, on a brand fresh new painted blacktop in downtown. So it was oh like 110 gosh. degrees with like steam coming off the ground. So sure enough, I gave myself rhabdo that day on my first ever contest. Oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a seven hour contest, five events over seven hours and 110 degrees. And all I was doing was slamming energy drinks because I couldn't eat or drink. They gave, a, they gave them away to us for free. And um, that was on a Saturday. I drove home that next day, Sunday, and I went to the gym and I, I couldn't bench the bar on that Monday. My body was so out of it. I had to take an entire week off. I was depleted. I had a fever, like everything. So I gave myself rhabdo. So, but you didn't go to the hospital or nothing. You just knew. <laughs> no, my, my father's a doctor and I called him and told him how I was feeling. And he said, have you ever heard of this? And I looked it up and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's it to a T. And he's like, you, you just can't work out for a week. He's like, you got to eat and hydrate. He goes, you cannot stress your body. It needs to recover. And that's it. So. I like how you're back at it on Monday, like seven hours of like a full meet like that. And you're just all, eh, let's go back on Monday. I, at that point, I lived for the gym. Right. Like, that was my life. And even my son, I have my son here this week and he plays video games. Yeah, I got him this VR headset. Like he loves video games. And I'll, I put a video up and all my friends like, oh, that's the best thing. I love that. And I'm like, dude, the second I got a keys to a car at 16, I sold all my video games. Like it was the gym. Wow, that's crazy. I actually saw that, that video it. of your son. He was doing, yeah, that he was like yeah. getting on the floor and everything. What what a console <laughs> is that? Um, I got him the Oculus headset and I souped up his computer. So I got him a gaming computer. I added a graphics card um, and I got him that Oculus one. So that's not the Oculus Rift that goes to your phone. That's the Oculus Rift that goes to the computer. So it's the high definition, fast paced speed one. Mm. So I'm, I'm that bad because, you know. I don't know what else can to do. <laughs> that's my husband. Like, I'm going to rotate yeah. this so you can see this. So that's his computer. He was just playing oh, right yeah. before. And I told him, like, hey, can you give me, like, an hour? He's like, yeah, no problem. But he's over there gaming with his buddy. My brother is an entire techie. Like, he makes his oh, living in cool. tech and securities information technology. And if you go to his house, he's got, like, eight screens set up that are surrounding oh. around them. And he would build them as a kid coming up. Like, that's how we got to start. And I don't understand technology at all. Like, if I can't do it through my iPhone or my iMac, I don't want to do it. But you did that. <laughs> you did the – I mean, that's pretty legit. I mean, even I for me, like, a him. gaming card, like, I'm like, why would you need a separate card? Like, he's like, you need to. It's just yeah. you need to have more space for that kind of stuff. I was like – but like for me, I, I can do this. This is about it. Like I can do music and this kind of stuff. But when it comes to gaming, I sometimes I just I'm stupid. I bought a podcast kit that's like pre-made podcast and I still haven't even learned how to podcast. <laughs> oh my. And that's probably legit. It's probably yeah. what do you have? The roadcaster? Is that the roadcaster pro? I, it was like a pre-made kit on Amazon that I just like impulse buy. I'm like, I'm gonna start a podcast. And it's still sitting there for like three months. And oh Riley just gosh. laughs at me because I'm I'm an impulse shopper. Yeah. Oh, so my husband. Something like, I want this, and I don't I don't hesitate, I just buy it. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's my husband. He's the same way. I'm like, stop. I can't even tell him that I like certain things because then all of a sudden I got three or four things. He's like, You like this one, so I bought this one in this color and this one like this, and that one. I'm like, What? What are you doing? <laughs> 
yeah. And every now and again, I look over at Riley. I'm like, you're a size seven, right? She's like, what are you looking at? I'm yeah, like, exactly. That's, that's so funny. That's so funny. But you know what? Um, impulse buyers are the same people who make good decisions because they make yes. fast decisions, fast right? Decisions. They don't they don't think about it. And whether it's good or bad, they more than likely are going to make a very good decision. I find that my husband makes pretty good decisions. I mean, for the most part. <laughs> Every personal development book will tell you that. Like, go with your gut instinct. And yeah. if it happens to be wrong, you can always course correct later. But by yeah. hesitating and waiting, you lose out. Yeah, totally. Okay, so Rabdo, you're like, all right. <laughs> I've created Rabdo for myself, Strongman. So you continued on in Strongman for a few years. Is that what happened? Yeah, five more years. Wow. Okay. So so you didn't do any powerlifting, no weightlifting, or did you do incorporate some of them as you were kind of doing Strongman? We incorporated powerlifting as a base for the Strongman because that was where our static strength came from. So okay. I was deadlifting and squatting. I had neglected the bench because very rarely do you bench in a Strongman. So we right. lived in a world of overhead. overhead right. So there was a lot of overhead log presses, push jerks, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, very rudimentary form. Weightlifting really was not popular here until CrossFit blew up. Right. Right. I feel like that's the case for everybody. Yeah. So the strongmen in those days used kind of a rough push push press or push jerk technique. There really wasn't anyone split jerking or doing anything or using a dip and drive. It was just rough muscle stuff, kind of loose. Yeah. And um, I still wanted to do powerlifting and I was starting to get the courage to do so. So being a young, egotistical male, I decided that I was going to do a powerlifting meet and a strongman contest that were a week apart. <sighs> Let's just do this stuff. It's like, let me just just times it by three. (laughs) So one of your questions about one of my biggest regrets or mistakes, that that would be it. Thinking that I can do it all. (laughs) So I was training for both and it got to a point where my, you know, when you compete in strongman, you get kind of used to aches and pains. You're lifting odd objects, things hurt in weird places. Yeah. And it got to a point where my left leg completely shut down. Wow. And I was dragging it behind me, and I, I hadn't slept for like four and a half days, literally. I was living on, on painkillers. My leg was dead. I was radiating pain down my leg. I couldn't mm-hmm. move, and I was having all these issues. And uh, my wife at the time threatened me. She's like, if you don't go to the hospital, I'm leaving. So I went to the hospital, <laughs> and uh, I sat in the chair and, or the bed, and I got the MRI. And the doctor's like, well, by the way, this is a little bit of a longer story. The do- I went in there at 6 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't take it anymore. Oh my God. I finally saw the neurosurgeon at 1130 at night PM. And he came into the room. I was by myself, he came in 1130 at night PM. He says, we've scheduled you for surgery tomorrow. And the bad news is you're never going to lift again. And of course I broke down and cried and I cursed him out. <laughs> I refused the surgery and I cursed him out. Yeah. And I'm like, you're wrong. I'm going to compete in six months. You don't know what you're talking about. And you know, pretty brash and stupid, but I had my, at the time, my smartphone was like an Android. And the first thing I started doing was Googling from the hospital, disc, disc rehab, spine rehab, mm. and all these things. And I became I came across the McGill method just before anybody really knew who he was, right. you know, Stuart McGill. And the McKenzie method, which no one really uses now, but I started to understand the, the role of TVA, pelvic stability, and all that stuff. And that was Father's Day weekend, um, July 2007. No, I'm sorry, July 2011. 12, somewhere there. I just know it was Father's Day weekend because I got dismissed from the hospital. I self-dismissed myself on Father's Day. And the first thing I did is got home and went on the floor and did dead bugs and bird dogs. Oh my gosh. And uh, sure enough, I did a CrossFit got total comp at my friend's gym, which was squat, deadlift and overhead press. And so that was my first contest back in five and a half months. So I was technically right, just really, really dumb about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you did all your own rehab, just investigating your own stuff. Question, did you do the McKenzie? I'm not a big fan of the McKenzie method. 
I did not because if I went into extension, like the floor press of an extension, I got radiating and shooting pain. Right, right. And so that was one of the reasons why I didn't do McKenzie. And I stuck with McGill, which was spinal stiffness. Right. And focusing a lot on hip mobility and yeah. spinal stability. And so I did that. And it, it did take a while. I had to modify things. Like I started squatting high bar, which I still do today. I mean, I don't use a really, really high bar anymore. But back then I was doing only front squats because back squats hurt. So I only front squatted, which taught me to squat with a vertical torso. Right. I was only, I couldn't deadlift for four months. I was only deadlifting for about five weeks before that contest. And um, wow. I'm known as a sumo puller now, but I actually deadlifted in that contest conventional, yeah. which was like a huge milestone. Uh, just I wanted to prove I could. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, going into the hospital, I was like a 610 pound deadlifter conventional. Wow. And coming out of the hospital, I pulled 550 on a stiff bar. <laughs> it wasn't even a deadlift bar. I pulled 550 on a stiff bar in this contest and like burst into tears. I was like so ecstatic. I did that. You know? Right. Um, and but, how was yeah, your pain level when you started competing? Was it, was it, you still had some pain? I still had some pain. Okay. It really didn't dissipate for a solid year and a half. I just mm -hmm. stuck with it and was able to manage it. And I did not train heavy. That's where I really started to go away from. At the time, I was doing more conjugate style programming. Mm -hmm. And the wear and tear and breakdown was significant. You know, I've been lifting since I was 13, really. Yeah. So we're talking 20 plus years. Yeah. So now it's 27 years I've been lifting. Yeah. So that's why I really got away from it. And that's when I started weightlifting because I realized I needed more trunk stability and I need more hip mobility. And there's no better sport for that than weightlifting. Yeah. So one of my friends owned a CrossFit gym and he invited me to come train there. And he's like, hey, why don't you come train here? We've got a weightlifting coach. And the first day I walked in there, the weightlifting coach looked at me and was pissed off because I'd never weightlifted before. He was this Cuban guy who was really mad that I was there. And Steve, who owned the gym, was like, dude, you don't understand. He's like, this is the strongest guy you got here. Like literally he overhead presses 300 pounds. He deadlifts over six. He's like, give him a shot. So I didn't really know how to snatch or how to clean other than the way we did it in Strongman, which is like a, a nasty power clean with no turnover whatsoever. <laughs> and so he's going through these things and he's teaching me how to do things. And the guy is like going from pissed off to holy shit, you know, because at the, yes, yeah, because at, at the time, the strongest snatch in the entire gym was like a 205 snatch it was like their best crossfitter doing a 205 pound snatch. And I just fucking muscle snatched 225 without even dipping under. He's just like. <laughs> This okay. is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's either good or bad because he's got to he's got to teach you how to unlearn probably a lot of bad technique you've had, right, for 5 or 6 yes. years or you're going to be able to be open to it and learn from it, which obviously you probably learned from him. It was the absolute best both for my back health. I mean, it hurt like a motherfucker to do that cuz they do everything in extension. Yes. They extend the spine where we don't. So yes. it did hurt first not painful to a point of like, oh, this is a 10 pain. Okay. It was like a five, six discomfort, but I realized this is something I need to do to improve these positions and posture. Interesting. But it was a really valuable lesson because it was the first time where I was the complete fish out of water. I wasn't, mm. you know, even though I was the strongest one in the room, I really knew nothing about weightlifting technique and he was a weightlifter. Right. And I just had to shut up and listen. Right. And that's what a lot of coaches don't know how to do because they've never been coached themselves is shut up and listen. And when a client is telling you something, that's what you really have to do is shut up and listen and then solve the problem. So that was a, a blessing for me in so many ways because I learned how to shut up and listen to the coach. Yeah. So what did you end up lifting? So you started off with, let's say, a rudimentary 225 snatch. What did you what were your highest lifts? Uh, my best snatch in comp was a 253. And my best clean jerk in the gym was 358. I only Jeez. did it for about a year and a half. Um, I got 328 in meat and then, uh, the three, I missed anything above that, above my head. Like that was the hardest thing for me was like stabilizing and catching a jerk. 
<laughs> Plus, I kept like going back and forth between like a push jerk because I can push jerk that weight over my head versus right. a split jerk. Right. But never consistent with the other. It also didn't help that once I was no longer in pain, I was literally training weightlifting one day a week. So I was powerlifting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and weightlifting like just on Saturdays. And I would show up to a weightlifting meet having trained weightlifting one day a week. <laughs> I'd awesome. be so mad if I was people around you. Like, this motherfucker. Like, all he does is change once a week. <laughs> Look at his fucking a, a lot of them were. Like, how? But it's like I had the base of strength first. I had to learn technique second. Yeah. I'm at that point right now. I'm actually uh, for the hellsies, just for the funds of funsies. Uh, there's a powerlifting meet or um, a CrossFit meet out here. And so I, I did CrossFit. Oh, my gosh. How many years ago? Seven years ago? Six years ago? And I always sucked at the Olympic lifts. <clears throat> And so I just, I haven't even tried to clean and jerk or snatch or anything since. So I was like, wow, my technique isn't awful, but man, my midline strength, um, the positioning, you, I just look like a powerlifter trying to Olympic lift because everything yes. is here. I am not wanting to get into extension. Like there, I just find myself having to drill it in my head, like chest up, up look up, look, I'm always looking too straight forward. There's so many things where I'm watching myself and feeding back. And I'm like, there's a lot of things that I need to work on. And I just haven't worked on. But that's crazy. So you went from Olympic lifting. And then how did you so what you competed in a singlet? I did. Okay. My first so singlet experience was in an Olympic weightlifting meet. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then you felt okay with it. I was super awkward and uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Really? But they didn't have rules like powerlifting has where you have to wear tidy whities The Olympic weightlifting, I was allowed to wear like the longer like Under Armour compression shorts. Right. So they were literally – if I look back at my first like weightlifting competition video, it pops up every now and again on a Facebook memory. It's like so embarrassing. <laughs> um, I basically like power clean through the whole thing. Like not even dipping under, just power clean. just hilarious. Yeah. But you can see my underwear like sticking out of the singlet underneath. <laughs> and so I had that really like – the really terrible like Matt man single that was like the only one that was available on Amazon. Yeah. And I, I kind of learned later that you can get a wrestling singlet that's a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> Those ones so are nice and longer. thin. Those are nice and thin. They show off the boobies yeah. if you want to, but I'm, I'm sure you're wearing a shirt, so it didn't. <laughs> yeah, I had a shirt on um, because otherwise, you know, when you're going to catch a clean, it would like slide off of you. Right. Wow. Okay. So then you decided, all right, I want to get into powerlifting like I want to make that transition is that how it mm -hmm. happened so year and a half you're in Olympic lifting and then where did you go did you go to another gym or did, were you powerlifting at that CrossFit gym both um so there were two CrossFit gyms that were owned by the same person Steve Bowser owns Brower CrossFit uh his gym on the west coast was called the Playground Gym West and then his training his business partner was my training partner Mike who okay. owned the Playground East okay so I would powerlift at Playground East and I would Olympic lift at Playground West oh my gosh how funny so then, yeah. okay, so then you got into powerlifting and it was just love at first sight from that point? I have powerlifted literally since the time I picked up that powerlifting USA at 16. Powerlifting okay. became right. the basis of my training. Right. I just wasn't competing in it. So I've been studying it and doing it since I was 16. I just didn't compete in it. One of the first articles that transitioned me over to it was actually Dave Tate's How to Squat 900 Pounds, which was mm. on T Nation back in the day. And so I began to low bar and sit back and stand wider, and which probably all actually contributed to the injury to my lower back because I was excessively using my lower back instead of, you know, we understand now the mechanics for raw versus geared. Again, that article didn't say anything about a squat suit or multiply or even single plier briefs. It's a missing component from the article. Right. And as we understand more with raw lifting, we lift a lot more from our quads than we do from our hips and back. Right. So there's a little bit of a difference in technique from geared lifting of any kind to raw lifting. Maybe you can go into that a little bit more. Um, so when it, it, in this article, 
I'm mm-hmm. sure Dave talked a lot about sitting back, right? So sitting yep. back on the box, where do you, where, why would people want to sit back more versus if they're in a suit? Yeah, well, if they're in a suit, the suit is helping them from the bottom. You know, the most precarious position for us is the bottom of a squat where we have to be most stable and generate force out. But in the suit, they can sit back and leverage the suit and then use their hips and hamstrings to explode up and out of the suit against that bar. We don't get to do that in raw because if we were to stand really wide and sit very, very far back, we have nothing helping us out of the hole. We actually de-innervate our quad somewhat from that position. So your prime mover is getting, you know, you're reducing its role of the prime mover and you're, work, you're working from the prime stabilizers and the secondary muscle groups, which is why I probably deteriorated and broke my back down. I'm not blaming anyone for that, but because it was, it was me being dumb training for two different sports at the same time. Right. It was too much. And I was literally max efforting both at the same time. But I, there wasn't a lot of information at the time yeah. on how to squat for raw. Right. So when I started weightlifting, the weightlifting coach was like, listen, I need you to squat this way. I'm like, which way? He's like this way. He wanted me to squat with a high bar and he wanted me to drive my knees forward, which is very counterintuitive to how every powerlifter squats. That's right. Then, anyways, at that right. time, you know, raw really didn't exist yet. Everybody was still sitting back in their squats and low barring and you know, doing good mornings to build their squat kind of thing. So at that time, I'm like, my quads are really weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, I can go in the gym and leg press and fill that thing out and move it greatly. But I'm like, but in a squat, my quads are really weak. So I realized that there was a lot of integration that had to happen. Yeah. So I learned how to high bar squat and how to drive my knees forward and utilize my quads a lot more. And it really took off. And I also noticed the more I did that and drove into my quads, the less my back hurt. Interesting. So I began to stack my torso and allow knees to and, and just down. Yeah. And raw was just taken off, but you began to see a lot more articles about squatting more like an Olympic lifter, just with the bar slightly lower, yeah. allowing your knees to travel forward. It wasn't bad for your knees to go over your toes of any kind. You know, it was only bad if you had poor form or mobility restrictions. Right. It, you know, your knee is a hinge joint. It's, it's meant to bend. Right. So bend the knee. And we were avoiding that. So did you still incorporate box squats just differently or do you just said, yeah, I don't really need box squats? No, I had to relearn how to squat because a box squat would interrupt my natural squat pattern. Right. So I lived for weightlifting in a world of front squats and high bar squats. Yeah. And a funny thing happened is, you know, my squat shot up. My, my squat shot up. My back got better. My deadlift improved. All of a sudden, I was using my quads much more in everything I was doing. Yeah. It was like a light switch had gone on. And I'm like, well, I wonder who else needs to know this. And so I really began teaching more of a sit-down squat style with not so much of a low bar and not relying so much on the forward flex. Like now I'm very anti that Ripito style squat of the head down, bar low, lean right. forward. There's even videos where he says, you know, the back it should be a prime mover in the squat. I'm like, not if you want a healthy back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I clearly he says, you know, first thing that needs to come up is this part and he'll whack that low yes. back, right? He'll whack yeah. that. That needs to come up first. Um, but you're, and why you would say that that's not optimal, right? Because it's not gonna... optimal for a raw lifter. Okay. I mean, he did come up in a time where everybody was in single and multi-plot. Yeah. It is probably the absolute best way you should squat if you're in single and multi-plot. Mm. If you are raw, it's probably counterproductive for most people to squat that way. Yeah, I agree. Oh, that's so crazy. Okay, so when did you start coaching for powerlifting? I started working as a personal trainer in 2000, November of 2001. I went to school. Okay. And have a degree in structural therapy because I was going to be a physical therapist, believe it or not. Okay. And I started working as a massage therapist and I started working as a trainer and I just never went back to school from there because I was making what I was going to do anyways yeah, and started funny. coaching people. Yeah. So I was training people 
I owned my own gym. I owned a studio. I was training people. And then it got to a point where people want to help online with nutrition. People want to help online with programming. And I would have other competitors who I would meet at strongman contests like, hey, can you write my programming for me? Can you help me out for the next meet? And it just became a thing. And I wasn't even charging them at first. But then it, the demand got so high, it was taken away from the time I had to do my training clients. So I started charging a small fee and it just kept growing and kept growing. And before online coaching really was a thing, I started coaching people remotely through email and online and reviewing their video that they would send me. I'm like, here's what you could be doing better. Yeah. And eventually got to a point where it was like 50% of my income. I'm like, wow, we don't need to own a gym anymore in a studio. It's occupying a lot of my time. It's, yeah. it's not helpful. So I got rid of my gym and studio. I rented space from somebody else. I kept just the minimal amount of clients because it just kept spiraling and growing to a point where now it's all I do. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think if I go through one day of your stories, mm-hmm. it's like a million reposts of your athletes. Like, <laughs> and I only have, I have a rule. I only repost one. So you can imagine oh my you gosh. see a million reposts. I'm getting 10 million story tags. <laughs> it's so crazy. And I see it. I'm like, and it's funny because there's, you can see that you have a good relationship with your athletes because there's always a funny comment or there's right. a, a jab or something, you know, something where you guys are busting each other's balls. I, I, and I think it's funny and it, it shows the kind of coaching uh, relationship you have with your athletes, which are, which is awesome. So how did you get hooked up with Miss Stacy Burr? Okay. It started with a connection to Jen Ratzinger. Okay. I had been coaching Jen Ratzinger who had been kind of going downhill. She had amassed a ton of injuries and was broken down. She was already a world record holder. And one day I was known as the guy who would compete in a meet with his athletes. So in Florida, I would show up to meet and I would have anywhere between eight to 12 athletes competing on the same day I was. Wow. And I would jump from person to person to person. And because I was still training in CrossFit gyms, a lot of them were CrossFitters who were stronger than the powerlifters. Yeah. Had better form and better mechanics. Yeah. And one day, Jen comes up to me, like literally, and it's right after I squatted in a meet. She was my head judge. And that was the last squatter. And she's like, I've lost my deadlift and I need your help to find it. And I looked at her, I'm like, cool, do you have your gear with you? And she was literally in her rest uniform. She's like, well, yeah, I have a change of clothes in my car. I'm like, cool, when I go to warm up deadlifts, come back there with me. And she's like, you're in the meet. I'm like, I don't give a shit, let's do this. So Jen Rothinger is deadlifting back there with me as I'm warming up for my platform meet, and I'm giving her cues, and sure enough, it like it paid off. Like She found her form again. She was, she was already a 400-pound deadlifter and just lost her form and wasn't able to pull anything over 380. So we were working up to like 275 in the back just to get her to feel some weight and see where it's at, like yeah. right there on the spot, and it worked. And she had another coach at the time, and then uh, one of the next meets that came up was Raw Unity 9, and Jen had a really rough performance. She went like four for nine, and I was giving her cues right there, and I'm like, listen, your squat's breaking down because of this, you know, and I'm seeing this happen here. And so I was giving her just a lot of feedback. And so she started working with Complete Human Performance at the time as a powerlifting coach, and she says, uh, listen, I need you to coach me, but there's a caveat. You've got to work for CHP to do it because I'm representing this brand. I'm like, that's fine, whatever. So I jumped on as a coach for CHP and started coaching Jen. And for like the first time in Jen's powerlifting career, she started going nine for nine wow. and eight for nine and breaking records again and shattering her old, her old records and oh, putting up monster killed. numbers. She's yeah. at the 123. She's a 114. 114. She's what is she squat? What's her numbers? I believe her best meat squat was 419. Jeez. The best meat deadlift was 445. She, she dropped at the tribute 451 at the top. Uh, she fell forward. Um, best meat bench is 215 as a 114 out there. So she goes both 114 and 123. Uh, I try not to let her cut down too much because it is a lot for her to cut down to 114. You know, she walks around at like the 120 range, um, which is not a huge cut for most people, but when you weigh that little, that's a significant cut. Yeah, she's already lean. She's a little yeah, she she's should. a little lean person. 
But um, Jen has a meet that's named after her, which is called The Jen in Florida, oh. which is an all-women's meet. And I'd known Stacy because she'd been at – she actually competed at Battle of A1. Um, I was on the poster for Battle of A1, and, and, and Stacy actually competed. I had no idea which it was. It was like her second or third meet. Okay. And so I guess initially that was the first time I'd ever met her, but didn't know her, didn't recognize her, any of that stuff. And so we knew each other from different things, and – I uh, would see her at different meets. Saw her at the Gen 1, quickly said, hi, hey, how you doing? At that time, she was growing, and she hadn't broken her first world record, I don't think, yet. She was just about to. And she was at the next Gen, which was the third Gen, and she was just coming off of the U.S. Open and didn't have the performance she wanted. She had some health issues. Things were not good. And she followed me around everywhere I went at the Gen and just didn't leave my side. Oh, that's cool. Literally didn't leave my side anywhere I went. She had dinner with me the next day. And I kept laughing to... Jen, I'm like, I think Stacy really wants me to ask her to coach her, but she's afraid to. <laughs> and so it literally started from like 8.30 in the morning till 7 p.m. at night. And she finally goes, would you be willing to work with me? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's been 12 hours, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're already joined at my hip. What am I going to say? No, I yeah. mean, like, literally everywhere we went to meet them, like Stacy was there with me and we're watching lifters and we're doing everything that I see that's breaking down on them. She's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. And so we were having dinner, Jen, Stacy, myself. A couple girls that had ladies that had competed, and um, I looked at Stacy and she was talking about all the things that are wrong with her. And I'm like, Can you even lift your arm over your head? And so instead of raising her arm up like this, like you can see me doing the camera, she turned like this to the side and went like this. I'm oh, like, So, Stacy, the, the answer is no, no, yeah. you can't lift your arm up over your head. <laughs> she was really banged up. Wow. So, we started from square one, and there was a lot of mobility work, stability work, a lot of corrective exercises, rehab, and just going back to primary basics. Like, there was a lot of high bar squats and front squats, and Stacy hates high bar squats. And I made her high bar squat for like 16 weeks straight. <laughs> and, you know, it turned out to work out pretty well because she was trying to sit back in her squat and low bar and didn't use her quads. She had none. She laughed. She goes, I don't even have quads. Wow. And she never was taught how to walk out a barbell, how to do any of that stuff. So we started from fundamentals. Like when she came to, she came down to the visit one time, I taught her how to walk out a bar because nobody ever had. Like she wow. was just raw emotion and belief that she yeah. can get stronger. Yeah. So it was like taking a brand new lifter who had massive amounts of strength, but starting with a brand new lifter, like probably like the Olympic lift, weightlifting coach looked at me like, right. okay, right. We got a lot to work on, which was great because I learned a lot about lifting. You know, the right. more ways you learn how to lift the bar, the more ways you can teach somebody how to lift the yeah. bar. And that's where it started. And we just clicked mentally. We clicked emotionally. We have a lot in common. We have very similar attitude and start from there. And then I flew to North Carolina for her meet where she broke the world record squat and the world record total. And that was the first time after that meet she started crying. I took her outside because she was high-fiving everybody and I could just see it in her eyes and I grabbed her and, and brought her outside and she was profusely crying and sad. I'm like, you just broke the squat record and you just broke the total record and you're crying. She's like, that wasn't my goal. And I'm, I'm like, okay. So while she's crying, she's like, my goal was to break the all-times woke record so I can be done. And I'm like, you want to be done? She's like, I made a promise to my grandfather that I'm going to be the strongest person who ever lived and then I can be done. And so that's when I got the true goal, which was that Wilk school. Mm. So it meant a lot to her and it began to mean a lot more to me. And that's where the idea came about that whenever we do your next meet, we're going to treat it like fight camp. And that's the only thing you're going to focus on is just that. Get it done. Achieve the goal. Because she wants to inspire people. Yeah. She wants to help people. She doesn't want to be the best part of all time. That was a goal she made to her grandfather like after her first meet. Yeah. But she wanted to see that through because he, he passed away. Yeah. So that's why that meant so much to her. And now it was my job to make sure it happened. So literally that's how she ended up moving in with me before the Arnold meet and spending seven and a half weeks like a flight camp 
preparing for the Arnold. Oh my God, that's a legit fight camp right there. Oh, absolutely. So you guys are attached at the hip again for yeah. two months. Yeah. And so how is that training different than maybe somebody training for an average meet? How did that look like? How is training somebody with that sort of mentality? Because I can imagine that it's intense and there's a lot of emotional uh, ups and downs as well. Like if things don't go the way she plans or if she's injured or, I mean, how, there was two how do you... training sessions where that happened? There was two training sessions where it wasn't going right. Mm. And I would let her keep going until she realized it's not going to happen today. Mm. You know, and there was like two emotional like breakdowns, like, ah, I need to do more than this. Only two in seven weeks, which really isn't bad. And they've revolved yeah. around the deadlift and surprisingly they weren't crazy intense sessions with like a lot of metal music and hardcore anger. We would have deep philosophical discussions while we were training. I could see that. <laughs> I could see you two being like that. That's funny. It's all it was. Like we were just very much present in the moment and we talked about life goals and talked about how we wanted to impact people and talked about the things we wanted to change in the world. Yeah. And while we were feeding off of each other's positivity, the weights just moved up. Her right. weights moved up. My weights moved up. Everything went well. And it went incredibly smooth. Somehow she added a good amount of muscle <laughs> and the cut became a little bit bigger than she anticipated for the Arnold, but she made weight because she's a trooper. So she made weight and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. She competed that day and broke the squat record again, squatting 565. And we had prepared the bench around 335 and only got 320, which was her second because she started cramping up pretty bad in the lats. So it, it, she shot off her chest with 330 and then like it hit the brakes because her lats started pulling it back down. Yeah. Like, oh boy. And so we looked at her and and we had set a plan for what number she would need. And we had kind of like jokingly said that she'd be done in eight attempts because Stacy doesn't make her third deadlift attempts. <laughs> so she took her opener and just annihilated it. And my plan went out the window at that point. I'm like, okay, we're jumping right to what you need on your second attempt. And she's like, bet, let's go load the bar, you know? Yeah. And so we did. And the entire focus of training for Stacy was not to hyperextend her neck when we're deadlift. And you can literally see me screaming behind her, gin tuck, gin tuck, gin tuck, gin tuck. And she gets like 90% of the way up and sure enough, she hits the brakes like she always did. And then you just see her, her head slowly start coming down and the bar keep coming up. And when she locked it out, it was like such a sigh of relief. Yeah. And I remember the first thing I screamed to her is we did it because that was a saying that we kept saying in the garage was we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And she would always include me. It's we, you know, I was part of her. She was part of me. It was never an, in, an individual entity it was we. Yeah. So I expressed that. I know I got a little bit of pushback for that, but it wasn't my words. It was hers. Um, but it was a beautiful moment. It was amazing because she was done. And I had this great picture. I almost sent you that picture where it's like, she called it the ugly cry. Yeah. She's in my arms yes. and she's just completely crying. Yes. It's, and the whole it's so there. emotional. Like I, I yeah. cried, you know, that watching that video and, um, I, I, you can just feel the emotion in that room and, and now knowing Stacy, you know, just a little bit more, I don't think I could hold back. I mean, it would definitely be somebody I'd be just be a, a puddle of mess just watching that. There were probably about 10 people who also started crying and just came up and hugged her for like 20 to 30 seconds each. Yeah. And some of them were just lifters who were happy to be there competing and just got lost in the emotion of it. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of guys who teared up. I teared up. It was like, wow, you know, this, this, this really happened. Now, you know, Stacey, what I, I admire about her is that the, I guess the attitude that comes from her is always positive. So mm -hmm. when I was speaking with her, you know, I asked her how she likes to hype herself up, you know, what are some things that she does to get, you know, in the zone or in that flow or whatever. And I had said that, you know, sometimes I 
I call myself, don't be a little bitch, you know, like I'll say things like that to myself, you know, like that sort of mindset. Um, and I don't like that. And I don't like that. I use anger in that way. Um, it gets me there, but I, at the time, like, you know, I don't really, that's not really how I am. And so she's like, yeah, I don't say any of that anymore. Like I, I'm totally like, you got this, you know, all positive, um, I guess affirmations, but you know, things that she says to herself, was there other things that you saw that might be different, uh, in the way that she trained that maybe somebody else doesn't train? Well, I was fortunate that I was structuring the training for her and there with her so I can see everything on the spot that made things really easy to go through. Mm. But the way she approaches training is, is different than most people. You know, she was excited to get in there and put in the work. She really understood that she got to do this. It wasn't a chore like, oh, I have to high bar squat today. And she would be the first to tell me, I hate high bar squat. She'll say it every seminar. Trevor made me high bar squat. I hate high bar squat. She's like, all right, I get to do this today. Let's do it. I'm excited. Right. Like she walked into the gym with a positive mindset of, I get to do this today. She was grateful that she's getting the opportunity to do this because she also understood how much it was impacting her and how much it was going to impact other people. Yeah. That's important. I think that once you start pulling away from yourself, like how the conversations that you two had about how you're going to help other people and impact other people becomes greater than yourself, you know, and I think the motivation is easier that way. It's not so, it's not so focused on one person and that way you're not, you can let yourself down, but letting other people down, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. After her first uh, meet that we did in North Carolina that she broke the world record squat. I remember one of the first things I said to her is I said, somewhere there's a 13 year old girl who just got inspired to pick up a barbell. Oh, that's awesome. That was one of the first things I said to her. And she's oh. like, and that made her smile when she was already crying because you know, that's what she wants to do. Yeah. She wants to empower people. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, let me get into these questions because I think that, um, you know, part of these questions are part of that. Um, so we did a small Q and a for everybody listening. We do a Q and a and every once in a while I'll put up our golden mic where people get to ask questions, uh, for our guests. And one of our questions we got from Tony, and this is a member at my gym. Um, he gave me a few questions. So we'll start with this one. He says, I suck at side raises. 25 pounds are really hard. Uh, will my bench suck if my side raises suck? And so I should probably put this out there. Like he's got, he, as he would say, T-Rex arms. He's like, so my bench should be amazing. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, but it's not that amazing. And in his own words. Um, and so I think, you know, in his training, he's, he said he's been doing side raises and they really suck. And he's not sure if that is sort of like a sign um, that his bench maybe is not too good. So why would somebody want to do side raises. And if he sucks at side raises, is that going to make his bench suck? No, he's very fortunate that he has the shorter arms because that will help his bench. What he's unfortunate is he's putting his energy into the wrong exercise. The side delts are not used very much in the actual competition bench press. You know, the pecs, the front delts and the triceps especially are used. So for him, if he really wants to blow up his bench press, he should focus so much more on close grip bench and overhead press and strengthen his triceps and his shoulders. So when he does come flying off his chest, he can finish that bar all the way through because the side raise isn't going to help him do anything but look better. Yeah. And this is a sport where it really doesn't matter how you look. It matters how you lift. Yeah. That's still, I, I feel that way too. Um, this is another one that he, I forgot to write on here, but, uh, tell me about doing, um, 
the winning warm-ups, let's for, say, for example. <laughs> Tony, Tony hates that. It's a personal I know, problem. Tony I know. Montgomery, my co-host on Coach's Corner, absolutely hates the winning warm-ups. I know. And so this is this is why I thought it was funny because the actual – one of the, you know, the Coach's Corner that I listened to where you and Tony Montgomery have a podcast, and I would say a good 20 minutes of that was the winning warm-ups. And so for everybody listening um, – the winning warmups are where uh, you take a, a, a light exercise such as uh, tricep extensions. Let's say you're working your bench, tricep extensions, and you do 20 to 25 reps. You do four sets of those before you actually start your main lift. Um, and so I know that Tony is not a very fan of that, uh, Tony Montgomery. And I know you've talked about it before, but maybe you can give me your opinion on if you like it, if you don't, what are what are the thoughts about it? Um what do you tell me yeah, what you think? Okay, so the winning warm ups usually involve four to five exercises for four sets of 20 to 25 reps. So before you even get to your main lift, you're doing anywhere from 100 to 500 reps of exercises of secondary muscle groups or stabilizer muscle groups, which is going to fatigue you out pretty well. It can be considered a lot of junk volume. Like if you've ever trained for a marathon, they tell you not to run junk miles because it wears you out. You have to have very specific purpose. And these are non-specific exercises where there's a reason for it and blows you up. And it's, it's somewhat junk volume. Yes, you feel warm. Yes, you feel loose. But none of them are corrective exercises. It literally is like stiff arm push down, side raises, tricep extensions, bicep curls is the one you warm. It's a non-specific specific warm-up. Uh, I think Tony just hates it because he names it after himself. But it's a lot of extra work that you're going to do before you hit the main lift. And you want to have the main lift being the main lift. So I love warm-ups. And I put up a video about that where I have like something for mobility, something for stability, and something for activation. But they're done very light and they're usually not done to fatigue. They're done just to prime you for the movement ahead. Right. For example, if you wanted to prime for a bench press, you might want to do three sets of five of push-up plus where you're doing the protraction and retraction from the serratus because that's where your stability is going to come from. But a set of five isn't going to fatigue as much as a set of 25 would before you get into the bar. Right. So they're not ideal the way they're structured. It's just a lot of busy work. And just because you're busy doesn't mean you're accomplishing something. It just means you're busy. Right. So it's, it's not specific. It's not ideal. And it's a lot of additional work that's taking away from your recovery that's not helping you build the lift. It's just helping wear you out before you even get to the lift. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I did, I did, uh, try those for a little while. I, I liked that how I felt. I didn't, I, I could probably say that it didn't aid or <laughs> inhibit. I didn't feel, you know, it's, I fun, mean, it's fun getting a pump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I guess I'm very neutral, I guess, in my own personal yeah. experience of using it. Um, but I know that I have some people that have asked me about it before too. And I just thought it was funny that that, that was a question that was asked. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun getting a pump. And if anything, because they're all secondary muscle groups, they're probably better to do heavier than he recommends and do them after your main work as a way to add bodybuilding accessories in there right. for size because that's what's going to be potential strength for later or to even you out a little bit. So if you've done some pressing work, doing some retraction work for your back is going to help even that out and keep things in, in copacetic structure so you're not hurting yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just going to say this one because I'm going to tag George in it, but why don't you love me anymore? <laughs> I, I don't want to interfere in your relationship, George. Your wife is there to love you. I'm just there to support you. <laughs> that is so, coming from George from Mr. USPA underscore North Carolina. He is mm -hmm. uh, one of the meat directors out in North Carolina, but I guess he really loves Trevor. <laughs> he, he does. He, he, he blames me for his impulsive gym shopping habits and says that I'm the bad influence on him. And I'm like, you know. It's only Maybe. helping you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. It's for the gym. <laughs> yeah, um, so what are the largest, oh, this is a question. What are some of the largest mistakes you see in beginners? Expectations and comparing. So it's your first meet. 
your weight class really does not matter at all. You shouldn't be expecting to go in there and win the whole thing. It's not even what it's about. It's about an experience. It's about having fun. It's about creating a community and getting lifelong friends and learning how to do more or better. So it's dipping your toes in. So if you're going in there like, I have to win, you have the wrong expectation. And if you're going there thinking, I have to be a certain weight, it's the wrong expectation. And then what's worse is when they go on open powerlifting or they go on the internet and they compare themselves to someone who's been doing this for seven to 10 years more than them and they get the feed like I did. Like I talked about that in the beginning. I went and saw Tony Conyers squatting 650 at 148 and I was 210 squatting 500. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm way off. But there was no mention of the the gear. But I went and compared myself and I didn't know there was a difference in raw and, and multiply. It didn't exist. So if a beginner is going in there and they see someone who's in the same weight class squatting 500 pounds more than them, they may understand that person is the number one in the world. That also may be a number that's in wraps. And that person could be cutting as much as 20 pounds to make that weight class. You know, there's a lot of variables that you don't understand. So beginners should not compare and they shouldn't go in there with crazy expectations. They should go in there with the expectation of enjoying it and then learning from there. I agree. Um, Who are some of the people you look up to in the powerlifting community? Everybody who's taller than me. <laughs> but um, that is such a dad, dad joke. joke. Oh my god! You, got, you know my my head, my husband does dad jokes every yes. morning. Uh, he does some cheesy dad dad joke, and he hasn't been doing it since the quarantine. And so now we have my one of our daughters doing it. But I tell you, when he stopped doing the dad jokes, we got messages. He had surgery, and people were like, "Where are your dad jokes?" He was like, "I have surgery right now." Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I have this philosophy of of kill your heroes. You know, you want to work with your heroes or compete against your heroes. You don't want to idolize them. So I I have a trouble of saying looking up to someone as far as an idol because I don't like false idols. But I like that there are people out there who are educating the community, giving back to the community, supporting the community. Those are the people who I choose to associate with mainly. The people who do something for the community that gives back from what they get. So if they're a coach and it provides them a living, if they're out there putting up great content or helpful content, or if they're out of meat and they just someone needs a knee wrapper and they wrap their knees, that's awesome. So these are the people I don't want to say I look up to, but I, I prefer to have in my circle. Right. So I try not to look up to people because usually you'll you'll be disappointed when you meet them or don't know them because maybe you catch them at the wrong day or maybe you have an expectation of who they should be right. without actually knowing them. Right. But I look up to people who do great things for their community. That's yeah. something that, that I appreciate. Like people like George were putting on meats and trying to grow it in North Carolina. I want to be associated with him. Yeah. You know, people like Stacy, who's empowering thousands of people right now and trying to help people have a better life, whether it is through lifting or it is through work or even is through the relationship. I look up to that because that's who I want to be with, you know, as as a, a, a friend, as a partner, as an associate. That's what I look to. So I don't look up to them because I know I can be them, too, if I strive and work hard. So I try and surround myself with people who do amazing things so I can be amazing. Beautiful. No, I, I completely agree. I think that's the best way of looking at it too. And, and it's funny because that, that I think that that is the feeling like if you expect, especially in this community where we see people only through social media and then you meet them and then you are, I've, I've met a lot of people who are like, oh, not the way I thought they would be. So if I idolize them, that would be problematic. I think because you yes. would think of them as a certain way. Yeah. They're human. There's yeah. no, there's no such thing as a perfect human. Right. You know? right. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we already talked about Stacy, and this question was, what do you think was special about Stacy? So maybe you can give me one thing that you thought was very special about her. You've talked pretty deep about her mindset and her work ethic. Um, but would you say that there is something that was uniquely special about her? It certainly wasn't physical. Like she was not a gifted athlete. She played sports and she understood how to move, but she wasn't like she joked. She had no quads. She was not like a gifted athlete. Yeah. What was special about her is an unwavering belief. You couldn't shake her belief that she could lift a certain amount of weight or achieve a certain goal. You couldn't. 
Like even those two bad days she had in the garage, it didn't shake her belief. She's like, I'm, I can be better than this. I should be better than this. And I'm going to fix everything I have to, to be better than this. And that meant her, she would go in and she would journal and she would write, okay, what did I not do today that I did yesterday without I had a bad day today? Or what did I not do yesterday that caused a bad day today? That was her unwavering belief that she absolutely should. And she would say to me repeatedly, whatever you put on the bar, I'm going to move it. There was never a doubt in her mind. And that's something that's special. She's certainly not the most gifted athlete I've ever worked with. She yeah. was the most uh, – her, her belief was like indomitable. You couldn't break her belief. That's her gift. That's amazing. And do, do you think that that permeated into other parts of her life? Like did you see that sort of belief in different areas? Sure. There's, there's a video that Stacy sent me that she probably never wanted me to share with the world. And she was not going to give up on – the this set it was a deadlift set where she was supposed to get like eight reps at a certain weight and she sends me this video via text messages before she came down and it's like two and a half minutes and in that two and a half minutes she never lets go to the bar so she completed all eight repetitions it's literally just her grunting and screaming and going ah you know before she moves it's like i have to do eight reps i'm going to do eight reps that same mentality she had towards lifting she has towards everything else so whether it is if she meets someone and sees that they need help she will dive in 100% at an almost obsessive level until that person's better off than when she met them. Wow. Because she believes that she can impact people in that way. Yeah. That's beautiful. She's just, she has a certain personality that, you know, you just can't, you can't put your finger on. There's just something special about her. So it's interesting to hear it like an inside sort of feel of things. Yeah. You can't fake it. You can't create that. It is such a, a caring. Yeah. Um, somebody had messaged me cause I put up something in my story yesterday on Instagram about what thing that you're grateful for during this. And somebody had actually, uh, I didn't even really know how to answer it at first, but they had said that their suicidal thoughts were, were wavering and starting to, to come out of that. And I was like overwhelmed for a second. I'm like, I really don't know how to handle this. This is pretty deep and it's not my forte. Right. I'm going to put a picture of Stacy up and talk about putting somebody in your life who's so positive that their, their light shines so much that you forget about your darkness. Yeah. <laughs> that was like how I could handle this. I'm like, I'm going to put Stacy in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I hope that you know, Stacy reaches out. I hope that lifter reaches out to someone like Stacy or reaches out to someone that they know like Stacy yeah. who never has a bad day. Because, yeah. like she says, it's a good day to have a good day. Yeah. So, if you can find that positive, like right now, there's a lot of toxicity out there. There's a lot of terrible things going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you're focused on, that's what you're going to attract to you. But if you focus on all the things that you could be grateful for or should be grateful for, you're going to bring more to it. Yeah. yeah. She has an abundance mindset. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. There's, there's no scarcity mindset with her. All right. And the final one, do you think that anyone will beat Stacy? Oh, obviously they already have. So, <laughs> uh, she, her, not her sleeves record, but yeah, people have beaten her Wilkes, both, um, Sefi Cohn, uh, Mariana had beaten the Wilkes. Um, I do not remember her name. She was at the tribute. She broke her raw squat in sleeves. I believe in total, uh, I cannot remember her name, unfortunately. But I do believe that Stacy's record will be beaten. I have two, Lifters who compete at 148, and obviously that's their goal. They want to one day beat Stacy's record, and I hope to help them beat Stacy's record. You know, Stacy didn't do this to put up the most unbeatable total of all time. She put up to be the best of all time at that time so she yeah. can let people know that you can achieve something. You know, it was yeah. more of a, a mindset goal than it was a lifetime achievement goal. Yeah. You know, her life, she's only, she was only 26 when she did it. Her life was just beginning. Yeah. She wants to make sure that the rest of her life is just as important, which is a bigger goal for her. Like we always joked about that. Like when she said, I'm done competing, she said it to me in November before the March meet that one. I hit this, I'm done. It yeah. wasn't like, okay, I'll never be able to beat this or I'll never top this. I'm done. Like that was the goal to be done. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she wants to accomplish bigger things. So I think her lifting goal, or I'm sorry, her lifting total and accolades will absolutely be beaten because that's what happens. You know, bigger and better athletes and better training comes into it. And I hope to help somebody get there. But I think that her life goal is so astronomically huge that someone like her is going to achieve things like Tony Robbins level. You know, like that's his goal is to impact everyone and to make their life better. And that's now her goal. Now, Tony Robbins is 60 something. He's got a bit of a head start, but Stacey's 20 something. So hopefully over the next 35 to 40 years, she's the next Tony Robbins. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I could see her taking something else on that would be physical, that would also be mentally challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, like I could see something just like this happening again, where she's like, you know what, I'm going to fucking do a marathon or something crazy where it's like, yeah. <laughs> She would. She absolutely would. Um, she's done a Spartan race before in her life before she piled it. But it just shows you the growth of the sport because the most impactful people right now are the women in the sport. Mm. They're at the top of the level. Women are growing the sport astronomically. When I first started competing, you were lucky if there was one woman in there. It was, there was 30-something guys. Meets wouldn't sell out. A couple of them in multiply. It was horrible venues. And now we have two, three, and four-day meets in great venues and 50 to 60% of the competitors are female, which yeah. is really awesome. Yeah, it totally is. So there was two more questions I forgot to ask you that we got today from um, the Lifting Lutheran. I love his Instagram name, but his name's Lifting Lutheran. Um, if, <laughs> if this ends, which I'm assuming the COVID pandemic right now, if this ends, do you think gyms will be bombarded? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think so. Gyms will be bombarded. And I think we're going to see a lot of home exercise equipment on sale for <laughs> on Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, and eBay because a lot of people bought out of desperation, yes. and uh, it's it's a little nutty. Yeah. Um, but people do miss that interaction. People yes. do miss that community. You know, it's I get to see your face right now. We're on an interview on Skype, so I see you, yeah. which is nice. And I get to see some clients sometimes that need to talk to me, so they Skype me, and I have Riley here with me, which is awesome. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people are very isolated right now and feeling yeah. very lonely. So they realize how impactful that gym community is in their life yeah. you know that's one thing that crossfit really taught the powerlifting world that helped out because crossfit was built off of community yeah and powerlifting clubs are starting to build off that same community you know your lifting circle your lifting club that's your crew you show up to meet together you wear the same shirts you're not against anybody but you're there for each other right I you shouldn't be against anybody at least right <laughs> i think you know, some. I, th I thought about it i was like is it going to be one way is it going to be that the economy is so bad that people don't want to spend that money on a gym, but I, I feel like it's going to be the opposite. I do feel like there's going to be a lot of people that are, are searching for that community. So they're going to want to reach out. They want to see people and they want to do it in a healthy manner. They want to go back to the gym. I just, I think it, if I, you know, if we get out of this, okay, I think that it will be good for the fitness community, um, right after. But I thought that was an interesting question. I was like, Hmm, that made me think. All right. And the last one, yeah. uh, last one is what are reasons, uh, you wouldn't accept an athlete as a client? Oh, generally, I, like when I mentioned before about when I had to shut up and listen as the athlete instead of the coach in that role, if, if there are people who give me red flags that they're egotistical and they're through the roof and they're not one for listening or understanding and they just want to do things their way or it's the highway, I give them the highway. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had, you know, I had a decent lifter, a former world record holder, reach out to me and give me all her details in my questionnaire and everything on there with a red flag. Like this person is not coachable. This, there's a reason why this person is struggling right now. It's their ego. And I don't want to work with this person. And I was actually coaching like their best friend. Uh -oh. And I reached out to their best friend like, Hey, listen, um, 
this is what I'm seeing and I'm going to have to deny so-and-so. And they're like, no, no, that's not, no, you're right. You know, we understand that you have your way. And if you don't think it's going to work, that's fine. And I did. And you know, so I was really happy with the athlete I was coaching was okay with it. And also happy that I didn't take on that athlete because I would have been upset. I would have been miserable. They wouldn't have allowed me to do what I want to do, which is I actually want to help the athlete. But if the athlete doesn't want help, they just want a yes man or someone to tell them they're right all the time. I'm the wrong guy for that. Like when I started working with Chris Bridgeford, like after five weeks, he wrote back to me. He's like, do you ever have anything nice to say? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, well, if you do something right, I will. And even Brianni like, jokes now. Brianni jokes about it. Like, give me a compliment, damn it. I'm like, do something worth complimenting. Yeah, that, you know? that's so funny. <laughs> so it's like I'm, I'm anti-yes men, even when it comes to myself. Like I said, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. I like people who keep my accountability in check. I might get like mad for a second, but they're right. If they're right, they're right. And I had another athlete reach out to me. He's like, I can't high bar squat. I can't front squat. I can't do this. I can't do that. And all I read that it was is you haven't really even tried. You just don't like to. Right. Like that was the difference between that athlete and Stacy. Stacy hated high bar squats, but did them straight for 16 weeks because she knew she had to. Right. This athlete's telling me right off the bat before we even start together, I can't, I can't, I can't. And he didn't have any reason why he couldn't. It just shouted that he didn't want to. Right. So in that questionnaire, what are the type of questions you ask that allow you to see a red flag? Is it like, I'm going to ask you some coaching questions and, or what, what are the, how do you structure it in a way where you're like, all right, this person's not going to be coachable. Uh, usually I'll ask them their short and long-term goals first, you know, what they're looking to accomplish, what they're training for right now, what they currently have coming up. And sometimes you'll see some astronomical thing that is the first red flag. Like if somebody has a, a you know, there's a male who might have like a 1400 total and he's telling you he wants a total 2000 of his next meet. It's like, okay, unrealistic expectations, check mark one red flag. <laughs> and there, there are some times where people will put things like that. And that's the first thing I'll say to them. Like, Hey, you know, I gotta be honest with you. Your goals are a little unattainable and unreachable for the time frame you've given. I'm not saying you can never total 2000. I'm just saying your time frame of doing this within the next eight months when you have a 1400 total isn't realistic. Yeah. And they're like, Oh no, that's not really my goal. I just put that because you're a really high level coach and I wanted you to like me. And I'm like, okay. okay. So sometimes it's just communication. Sometimes right. it's like they're trying to step up to my level and they don't need to do that. Let me know where they're at. Right. Um, the other one is, you know, I always ask them a question. It's really simple of what can they not tolerate very well, such as, you know, heavy deadlifting every week causes them to hurt. Or if they squat heavy, for, it takes them two weeks to recover. I want to know what they kind of like and don't like from training. Cause I usually try to program away from that. If it's something that they don't like to, if, if I can help, if it's right. something they need to do, I'll explain them like, listen, I, I really feel like you would benefit from this. Let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, we can course correct. But sometimes you'll, you'll see things like that one gentleman who told me everything he couldn't do and didn't tell me one thing he could do. It just let me know he didn't like to do those things. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted the low bar squat every single week. Meanwhile, his bicep tendonitis was awful. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> I can't help you because you don't want help. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. So I, I try not to, yeah, I try not to go too in depth or too deep. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't try and pretend to be one, but I want to get an idea of where they want to go. Yeah. Where have they been? Why they're reaching out? And if it's something I truly feel like I can help because I get inquiries somewhere between five to 10 inquiries a week. And I probably will accept one or two of them. Wow. The other ones I will defer off to other coaches. You know, I'll recommend five or six coaches to them if they want, or I just generally just say, Hey, I'm not the guy for you. Usually I'll give them a list or say, if you'd like a list, here's a list of people you should contact. But I just generally, if I feel like I'm not the best personality trait for them, I will, I will defer them to somebody else because I know that if I take somebody on and if my gut instinct tells me not to, and I've done it before, I've taken somebody on my gut instinct told me not to, and I did, and I've always regretted it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. There's been many times where I'm like, it came back to haunt me. And it's funny, yeah. those kind of people still like, oh, like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, 
Bye. <laughs> I, I, I let clients go too. Like I've, yeah. I've had clients where if I felt like the relationship broke down or if they were no longer listening to what I wanted to do and changing things or adding things, I'm like, listen, this is no longer my vision for you. Yeah. Um, if we can't go back to that, I'm going to let you go as a client and, and I'm going to recommend you work with this person because that's what they're doing. Like I'll help someone feel like, I really want to do this. I had, I had a guy who was diehard in doing velocity-based training. I think velocity-based training is junk for a power. I think it's great for athletes to manage fatigue, but I think it's absolutely junk for a power to measure velocity. And, um, he was dead set on it. He's like, yeah, I just, I already bought the unit. I'm like, dude, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the guy for you. You know, go to Kabuki. Do. <laughs> you want the real velocity? Then, then go well, to Kabuki. Well, I, I come to find out that this kid's had seven different coaches in the last 18 months. I'm like, oh, so he's God. been let go a lot. <laughs> See, that's the funny thing though. The one regret I had as a client, she had, and the red flag, and this was early in my, when I was coaching. So the, I, I was still, I think, naive to what I should say and what shouldn't say, you know, people I should and shouldn't take. But she had told me, oh, there's no trainer that can work with me in this town. Like no trainer. At the time I was doing uh, mostly bodybuilding. But that should have been like a red flag for me. You that know? should have like, been your red flag. Yeah. And there's I no was like. Wants to work with you in this town. That's exactly it. Instead, I was like, I'll be that trainer. I was like, I am like that woman that takes a guy that I'm like, I'm going to change him. But really, you can't change him. That's just how they are. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. So this is the part of the show where I think you might have already answered. What the hell is wrong with you people? What the hell was I thinking where you look back at a time and you think, what the fuck was I thinking doing that? Would you say it's the doing those two meets at the same time? Or is there another time in your life where you're like, fuck, that was a really stupid idea. Why did I do that? I have that moment of reflection after every injury. Like, you know, um, I, I mentioned training for two beats at the same time, but I was also going through a divorce and a separation last year. And I decided to mask the emotion of jumping into a meat prep. So I was set to move out of my house uh, two weeks before the meet was actually going to take place. So I dove into this meat prep. And at first it was like awesome because it was all I was focused on was the meat prep and everything went outstanding. My deadlift felt amazing. My squat felt amazing. It's PRing everything. I'm like, this was awesome. And then I take my last heavy squat. And I had planned to squat about 7-11 in the meet, so I took 675 in the gym and it just flew up. So I'm like, oh, wow, that was too easy. Let me go 705 and squat 718 in the meet. That was my mindset. And on the descent, I started feeling my adductor tearing. And I'm like, oh, this is tearing. Let me explode up. And I exploded up and the adductor completely went. And I realized that you can't mask emotional pain by putting physical work there to let go of it. So it was just one of those things like something had to give. I moved out of my house and three days later I lost my ad doctor because I was compartmentalizing everything into the training program. So that was one of those, what the hell was I thinking? And I'm also like looking at all my friends, like, where were all you guys going? Like, that's a really bad idea. Really bad idea. (laughs) We're like, we're going to be there for you. We're going to wrap your knees. We'll help you squat. (laughs) Those are true friends. They're like, let's just help you get through this. I just did that one like, dude, you're stupid. Yeah, right. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, it totally yeah. tore. It totally tore. Yeah, I lost my adductor and my sartorius. So my adductor magnus, which is very important for hip extension. Yes. So my adductor magnus blew and my sartorius is completely gone. I don't think I've ever um, heard of anybody blowing their sartorius. <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing that I felt go on the descent was the sartorius. Wow. The stabilizer. And then when it came up, the adductor magnus went because the sartorius was gone because stability was gone. Right. Um that was interesting because I had just moved into a two-story house. And I was completely by myself, and so I could not really walk very well. So I was kind of crawling up the stairs without bending my knee like like a worm. And you get pretty self-sufficient that way. But that was one of my major like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Because it was like the worst moment of my life emotionally. I'm just trying to hide from that emotion by doing a meat prep. Right. And uh, 
I'd say those are my top two. Trying to do a strongman meet and a powerful meet back to back, like same weekends, and training for both with maximum effort, and then using <laughs> lifting to hide my emotions, which is actually really, really common in this sport. You know, I talked to a lot of friends of mine, like Paul Mead said the same thing that you know, and I, th- I think even Joe Sullivan has mentioned at one point that we shouldn't be using lifting as therapy. Yeah. Therapy is therapy. Right. Lifting should be because we want to and because it's fun. And a lot of people have talked about that and posted about that. Like if you have emotional issues, speak to someone, see a therapist. Don't put them into the weights because eventually that that level of stress and fatigue is going to bite back. Yeah, I think that's important that um, that I always try to tell people that, you know, stress in your life, especially something like that, divorce, you know, on the on the breakdown meter, the mental breakdown meter, you know, divorce is at the highest. It's, yeah. you know, that is high and that can manifest into physical um, physical injuries. And so people, you know, if you're in that stressful time and then you're starting to add on, Hey, let's max out and like do all these crazy things, training that can definitely transfer. And I mean, that's a perfect example of something, how that happened. That, that must've been awful. That's definitely a very bad, what the hell (laughs) was I thinking? So now, so now you don't do that. No, stress, stress is an immeasurable amount you know, you can't see how much it's really compounding and building up and affecting you. Like you can, like I can measure the tonnage and total volume. I can measure someone's recovery by their speed. I can give them deload weeks, but that stress is there 24 seven constantly. And you can't measure that amount and how it's impacting you. And I didn't realize how much it was impacting me until that very last rep. That literally was like the last thing of prep. And it would have been meet time two weeks later. And then boom. That's so crazy. Well, shit that I don't, I don't think anybody's ever talked about anything blowing. So Actually, actually, you know what's funny? The only other person did was was the only other guy, Duffin. He blew his uh, yeah. bicep, I think, uh, doing a muscle up at like three hundred pounds or whatever he was at the time. Yeah. <laughs> After he had just finished benching for about two hours, so he decided to do a muscle up and just tore it. That was. It's so yeah. funny. It's a lot of the men that do this kind of stuff. It's interesting. <laughs> You don't see the tears as often in women. I don't know if they're just more pliable or maybe it's the extra estrogen so they're able to move differently. But, yeah, I mean, you just don't see the tears as often in women. We're very fortunate in that aspect. Yeah. Trevor, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I will have in the show notes where everybody can find you. They can be on your list of people to train with and be rejected. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much. And I think that a lot of the women and people that listen to this show are going to take a lot out of it. Um, And... I hope you're safe out there, you and Riley. Absolutely. We're, I'm used to social isolation anyway. Since I work online, I'm always in my house unless I go to a grocery store. So social isolation is my normal. Well, I feel like I'm going to just see more great videos of you in little speedy shorts in your garage. <laughs> the guy who was afraid to put on a single is now in his underwear on Instagram. Yeah. Day, right? <laughs> That's so funny, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> 